I already told you about where we are in Isaiah. So I need to pray before we get, get started. So let me pray. Almighty God, how amazing you are. Lord, we, we look at this passage in Isaiah and we marvel at just how the entire universe is pointing at this one place, this one slice in time where Isaiah is pronouncing this, Heavenly Father. And, and it is just so amazing because it brings so much glory to you just in the prophecy and then later in the revelation, the advent and then the revelation of this. Lord, we, we stand in awe of all that you do and we aren't even aware of not even 10% of it, Heavenly Father. It just goes by and you bless us and it is so amazing. Lord, we love you for all the things that you do for us. Heavenly Father, we especially lift up the country of the Ukraine at this most incredibly trying and difficult time. Lord, bring them peace. Not the peace of, of humanity. Not the peace of our world. Bring them your peace so that they will know who Jesus is. Open our hearts that we understand what Isaiah is trying to tell us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, Isaiah 52. This is going to be short. I say that and then it always ends up being long, right? Okay. It, I'm hoping it's going to be short. So we're looking at um, 52 verses 1 through 6. That's all we're going to do. Verses 1 through 6. Um, it's done in two separate sections, all right? And verse 1 and 2 are a poem. It's the end of a poem, the one that we were looking at previously. And these are the last commands that God gives before he rips the Band-Aid off and reveals who the servant is. God, God is talking about the servant all through here. And there's actually a couple of places in here where it kind of, you know, it, it lifts up the corner a little bit just to let you know it's coming. Okay. So, um, 52, verse 1. And before we, we read verse 1 here, what happens when something gets repeated twice? God's telling you to pay attention, right? What does chapter 52 begin with? Awake, awake. Okay. You have my attention. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. So this double call again, call, drawing attention to the command. God is calling on us to be alert, to pay attention. And then God says, put on your strength, O Zion. God calls us to be prepared to be strong. And the command 
is to Zion, which is the church, God's people, all right? So if you're not a member of that, it's not a command for you, all right? But right here, we have this. God is telling us, pay attention, and to put on your strength. And he's telling us, as the church, prepare to be strong because something is coming. Then he says, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. This is another command from God to array ourselves in finery. Why is that? Because the servant of the Lord is coming. Let us prepare to receive him. And the command again is to the church, to God's people, to the elect. Because the command is to Jerusalem, the holy city. And so we know this is not an individual thing. He's not saying you. He's saying Jerusalem. He's saying Zion. And that is the command to God's people. And then there's this sort of odd reference. There shall no more come into the uncircumcised and unclean. No longer shall the people who are not of God's church to be present. The evildoers, the schemers, the ones who conduct themselves in the shadows, only those of God's church, the believers, shall come to God's mountain. There's something going on here. You can tell that there's something coming. So verse 2. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Again, there's these metaphors for what we're supposed to be paying attention to. So verse 2, shake yourself from the dust and arise. So stand up from the dirt on which you sit. Shake off the dust and dirt on which you were laying. This is a metaphor for us to be pure, to be clean, to shake off those things that are not pure and clean. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Kind of funny, he tells you to stand up first, but he's telling you to stand up out of the dirt and the mire that you're in. And then he says, be seated, as in, set on the chair or the bench. And he's telling us to sit in this place that is exalted. It's different. It's being set aside. And the reason he says that is what comes next. This is a place of respect. And then God says, Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Again, it's to the church. You can tell, O Zion, right? And loose the bonds. What are the bonds that are around our neck that hold us captive? What is the problem that holds us back from communion with God? And this is a problem that comes from time immemorial. What is the problem? For all of the, about the pain, they, the, the people 
of the Old Testament. For all of the Old Testament, the people worry about the wrong things. We focus on the wrong things still today, right? People in the future are going to make this exact same mistake. We focus on the wrong things. We focus on the pain and the suffering. It's not that we shouldn't focus on pain and suffering, but that's not the big problem. What is the big problem? People worry about status. They worry about pain. They worry about suffering. God is concerned about the pain and suffering as well, but not just that. And it's not just the people, but the animals as well. And there's several verses that actually point to this. Genesis 8.1. Genesis 8.1, all right? But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were in the ark. And God made the wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were in the ark. God is concerned with the suffering of animals as well. Back to the fundamental problem between us and God. What is that problem? The problem is sin. Sin is the thing that stands between us and God. What is it we need to be saved from? What is it we need redemption from? It is sin. It is the barrier that stands between us and God. Continuing on, verse 3. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Oh, wow. Check this out, all right? We were sold into bondage for nothing. Quite literally, we did it to ourselves, okay? And here's the thing. We were sold into bondage for nothing. And there was no cost to us, nor was any currency exchanged. And God will redeem us without the use of money. Our redemption from sin will come with no money. There will be an incredibly high price that needs to be paid. And this idea comes up three other places in the Bible, by the way. Okay? That, that it's free. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Without price. Let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Take the water of life without price. It's been paid for. It is given freely without price. Isaiah 55.1. Isaiah 55.1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread 
and you labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me, look diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. And then, you notice right here, there's wine and there's bread buried in that list. In all of these lists, you will find wine and bread buried in all of these lists, or water. That's the other one that shows up, okay? Okay, John 7:37. John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. How amazing is that? Jesus is saying, It is given freely without price because its great cost has already been paid. Now, Jesus had not yet paid that, but he knew it was coming. And he's saying, the water is already paid for. I am sure you saw it when we mentioned that there is bread in there and there is wine. And we know who paid that great price. Every one of these references is to Jesus paying that price for us. Verse 4. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. So again, back to focusing on the wrong things, the, the immediate things. This is what the people of Israel are concerned about. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon. Later, it's the Romans, right? The Greeks and the Romans. But here we have, my people went down to Egypt to sojourn. And we know exactly what that's talking about. It's talking about Moses, when Moses has the exodus and has to free the people. Okay. And the Assyrian... Again, that's the part that's oppressing them right now, where Isaiah is. And this is the part that speaks immediately, and they're, this is what they're listening to, right? They're paying attention to this part. They're not paying attention to the part where God is saying, the big problem is sin. You're concentrating on the wrong thing. They hear Assyria here, oh, here, here it comes. This is, this is the part we need to pay attention to, because this is what concerns us right now. God is aware of the suffering of God's people. And while God is aware of it, it is not his first and major concern. Yes, suffering is important to be concerned about, but it is not foremost. Sin is foremost. Hands down, there is no debate. Verse 5. Now therefore, what I have here declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually, all the day, my name is despised. 
God says, my people are taken away for nothing, and their rulers wail all the day my name is despised. God sees his people being dragged away. God sees their suffering, and their rulers wail in anguish. And wrongly, God is accused of being wrong for allowing these things to happen. How quick do we do that, right? We blame God for what's going on. Of all the bad things that are going on, that's going on in our lives, we blame God for that. That's not God. That's not God. That's the universe being broken. God is wrongly despised for allowing this to happen. God is despised for the punishment of sin. And so the last verse we're going to look at today, verse 6. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. Keep in mind, God is wholly just. He is wholly loyal. He is carrying out all the things that he promised to do. It's in his timing. And this is the part we always miss, right? I I want it right now. I, I want relief from this pain right now. I want relief from this suffering right now. That's that's the way we focus. That's the way we think, right? People, we 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 don't think the way God thinks. Not in this way. God knows what the great problem is, and the problem is sin. And God knows the only way that sin can be atoned for, for the redemption of God's people and for the salvation of God's people, there is only one way that can be paid. God knows what that is. And we're not paying attention to what the big problem is. And this is what is being set up here. No one can pay for their sins, their own sins. In a way... You can. You can pay for your very first sin, right? The first thing you do wrong. You can pay for that. The penalty is death. Oh, your second sin? You can't pay for that one. Or your third, or your fourth, or your seventh, or your millionth. Okay? You can't, you can't pay for that. Not if you're going to pay for that very first one. It's not possible. God knows how this can be fixed. God knows the one who can pay for all sins. From eternity through the present to future eternity. God knows. And God knows which servant is just and true and can stand in the gap for all the sins of God's people. Now, if there was a perfect person, a perfect person, okay, That person could pay for one sin, right? That person has never existed. Well, there was one, and we nailed him to a cross. And in the process of his being nailed to that cross, because he is the crown prince, the son of God, sits at the right hand of God in heaven. That is his place. That is where he's supposed to be, Jesus. 
Jesus walks up on that hill carrying all the sins. And the only reason that he can do that is because he is the infinite. He is I am. And that is why Jesus can walk up on the hill and pay for that. And that is what Isaiah is hinting at here. Isaiah, I'm reasonably sure Isaiah had these, when he's making these pronouncements, he's going, well, if this and this, then the only thing that can do that is this. I'm, I'm sure he's putting two and two together and he's figuring out some of these pieces. And certainly when God says, this piece that Bill's going to stand up here and tell you about, when, when Isaiah says that, Isaiah must have this, I mean, it's not, a, you know, it, it's not like you turn the light bulb on. This is like a searchlight. You know, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, Isaiah must have known. Isaiah must have known what was coming and what had to be. This must have been mind-blowing for Isaiah to have gone through all this. I know it's mind-blowing for me when we read it. And there's, Isaiah's like pulling back the corners just a little bit. Let's pray. Almighty God, how amazing you are, Lord. We, we look out at the vastness of the universe and we have just this barest glimmering of understanding of how vast the universe is. And for you, Lord, it was simply to speak it into existence didn't even break a sweat. How amazing you must be, God, to have created this place for us to live. And Lord, we get it wrong all the time. You know how badly we, humanity, gets it wrong. Even those of us here that love you. Heavenly Father, the world is a very broken place. It, it is running off the rails and there's just massive suffering for your people. Even the people of your old covenant, Lord. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. And we are amazed by all that you do for us, all the blessings in our lives. And when we see disasters like what is happening in Ukraine, we are so deeply grateful for the blessings in our life. We thank you for that, Heavenly Father. Take these words from Isaiah carve them on our hearts and next week and then the week after that the most amazing of all Heavenly Father carve it all on us that we will fall in love with you 
and with your son all over again for all the amazing things that you have done. Unspeakably beautiful and incredible. And we lift you up and praise you and worship you and love you for all of it. In the name of Jesus, amen.